as joyful as we started, I'm going to give you a real meaty word today. Is that okay? And sometimes it can feel hard at first to ingest, but when you leave, you'll feel blessed by it because God's going to do something. There's there's a theological significance in every story of the Bible. There's, there's, there's a practical and then there's a theological uh, mirror that God is shining on us when we talk about these characters or people that lived out the stories in the Bible. And I want to go to 1 Kings today, chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. I had to actually write an expository exegesis on this passage last year and really get into the deeper side of this passage. And this is when King Solomon, the son of David, became king of Israel and had asked God to give him wisdom. And God made him king because he was already showing the signs of a wise ruler. And this was his first test as king to exercise the gift God had granted him in a dream and then show the people of Israel God didn't, picked the wrong one. He picked the right one here when he, when he brought on Solomon. So let's go to chapter 3. It says, now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him, King Solomon. One of them said, pardon me, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone there there was no one in the house but the two of us. And during the night, this woman's son died because she laid on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was sleeping. She put, her, she put by her breast him and the dead son by my breast. She swapped him. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw this wasn't the son I had born. How many moms out there know your children? You know, that's not my baby. That's my baby. I know my child's cry from the pulpit. I can tell when it's not mine and when it's mine, and I'm not even a mom. So how much greater is a mother's intuition than that? Very strong, right? Verse 22, the, woman, the other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. This sounds like my boy's fighting right now. Then the king said, bring me a sword. I'll solve it. So they brought a sword for the king. And then he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. That's an efficient yet gruesome way to solve a problem, isn't it? Verse 26, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of the love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Just cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him because she is the mom. She is the mother. When all Israel heard the verdict that the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. My subject this morning is the right one. The right one. Look to your neighbor and say, God honors the right one. 
the right one. He honors the right one. There is something so powerful about what I'm calling intuitive integrity. Intuition is an instinct, and when you're intuitive with integrity, it's your instinct to have integrity. That's a trust that is someone will do what's right no matter what. Intuitive, like I said, means it's instinctual, reactive. It's coming out of me whether I think about it or not. I think the biggest fear in culture is trust. I struggle with trust, always have. That's, the, that's a common fear people have. And so the biggest fear to trust causes us to live scared because trusting people is hard. We live in fear of outcome because we have learned to not trust because the enemy has poisoned so many with the thought that dishonesty is okay. It's just a white lie. Again, I've preached this. Last time I checked, lies don't have colors, right? Well, no one knows about it. Intuitive integrity does the right thing whether there's anybody in the room or not. If you're by yourself, you'll still do it the same way as if there's 20 people watching. And that's, that's what's so cool here. We have learned to think, though, that being selfish is okay. But what are we accomplishing through this mindset? Are we asking God to bring healing to our situation, but we continue to live in a self-serving way? Or are we willing to put, true, put it truly before the feet of God and walk away? Because that's the intuitive desire of our heart. Meaning, no matter how it affects me, what's best for that baby has got to be what I put before God. Even if I lose the child so the baby shall live, the mother the real mother had that. And that's how Solomon knew the difference. You know, God knows the difference too. How do you think Solomon got his wisdom from God? Every fruit you see that's godly in a person among you came from the Lord. So therefore, if you think he's spiritual, he's godly, that's an attribute of God then. Therefore, if they can feel it and they can do it that way, it came from God. God does it that way. So when you're analyzing how does God think, that's how he shows us how he thinks. Yes, babe. <laughs> she is really up the talking velocity this weekend. She talks faster than I can type words per minute. <laughs> Just kidding. That's really fast. <laughs> so you're like, well, I can't type but with my index finger, so maybe it's not that fast to you all. Little computer joke there. Have you ever had to love someone so much it hurt? Hurt you? Like, to love them is to do the thing you don't desire to do, but you have to do. Like the kind of love that says I'm willing to lose you because I love you. That's what the mom had to do. That's a love that's hard to conceive. I mean, that's, that sounds like Jesus on the cross to me. Like, I will suffer so that you may be blessed because my love is bigger than my personal reward out of the deal. Does that make sense? And that's why the mother was so easily deciphered from the fraudulent mother, because that fruit came out of her, and that was a sign of wisdom and honesty and that intuitive integrity I'm speaking of. God will always honor back the right one. He will always honor back in one way or another the right one, even when the world thinks you lost, God will honor you for making the right choice, no matter what. 
There's a lot of endeavors in this world that say you're successful if. Well, last time I checked my Bible, that means I'm failing in God's kingdom. So God will always honor back no matter what the world measures that same success by. That's not an accurate measure. What we need to measure by is what God measures by, which is intuitive, integrity, and transparent truth in all we do. It's an ethical decision we decide to make. And I preach this a lot because I find people connect with it because it's the world we live in. It's the my way or highway mentality we live in. And we are taught that decision-making is on the surface and for self in the moment, but decision-makings have a trail. There's a sermon coming I got called Decision Trails. We always talk about the path where we're going. What about the trail we're leaving behind to our, the, our family because of our decisions? So I've had this just, I don't want to call it awakening, but an awareness lately that sometimes when I'm thinking about my own decisions in my day-to-day life, I started thinking about what is that doing to my wife and kids? Like when you don't think it affects somebody, remember your decisions always impact those around you. What are my decisions affecting our church? What kind of decisions is the shepherd affecting the sheep by? Like these are all residual decision trails that come from decision making. And in a my way or the highway mentality, that is not on the table when thinking through. I want the baby. She died. Hers died. So I'm going to take mine down. I'm going to take hers. Whatever I need to do to get my way. How would that mom sleep at night, though, for the rest of her life, knowing she took the other innocent lady's baby? I don't know about you, but every human has a conscious. And if there's a conscious up there and they're breathing, she's got to live with that. So there's a, there's a trail to that decision. So in the moment, she may have got what she wanted, but in the long run, she's going to hurt and suffer a consequence. And then she's going to say, someone's punishing me. No, you're reaping what you're sowing. What are you sowing today? What are we sowing that's not God's punishment. That's, that's the repercussion of decisions. It's like if someone goes and tells me to go walk on Tom Ginevra in faith, and it's, it's rush hour time, and I get hit by a car, and they say, well, I don't understand why God didn't protect him, because God said, use your brain. Traffic. Use your wisdom. There's a, there's a, a, a repercussion to our decision. God didn't send me out there and get me hit by a car. I walked out there because I wasn't paying attention and thinking about what could happen. My way or the highway. We're taught that if every decision is just for me, then the reality is I'm missing the real impact that I actually have on people. So to conclude that thought is if you don't think you have any impact on people, it's easy to feel justified in being selfish. But the reality is you do have an impact on people if you walk past one. Like, you don't have to be at a certain qualification to impact people. Every, every, every trait you exhibit, when you go out and you act happy, you act sad, you act mad, angry, if anybody even sees it, you're making an impact. If you're yelling around your children, they see it, you're making an impact. Everything you do is planting seed, and it will grow one way or the other. So when we know we're making an impact, then we'll start thinking differently about how we're deciding to walk like we are. I thought this story was really cool because this is what 
scholars call an ethical dilemma. How many like ethics? I love ethics. Because ethics say you can just hear about it in church, but when you're put in the middle of it, what would you really do? It's a big difference. And I found myself being challenged by some of the things I thought I would do when I started putting myself in the middle and going, well, I'm not sure. Because depending on the situation, I may not be as just black and white with my decision as I thought. You know, things that on the outside, church people say, yeah, that's wrong. Don't do it. Well, until you're in the middle of it, it's hard to, to know sometimes where the, where the boundary line is. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're mistreating their child. Send them in. Like, you don't know until you're in the middle of it what that it really looks like because there's so much chaos around the, the situation that, like, we judge it from a distance, and then we draw conclusions that are black and white. But the reality is it's always messy when you're in the middle. That's an ethical dilemma. And so the ethical dilemma in this story is as a dad, even, I'm thinking, what would I do? I think I would have done what the mom did, of course, because when it's your baby, it's, it's instinct. It's, it's, your, it's your child. You're not going to think about it. But clearly, we still have a choice because the other mom didn't seem to care. And she was a human, too. And what I find is when we're put on the spot, that's when the junk comes out. That's when the white lies come out. It's, it's the, it's the unabil- inability to react uh, with integrity in the moment that we start being someone we're, we don't really want to be when they're put on the spot. Is anybody, I've done this. Has anybody ever done this before? Like you can be the most stand-up person, but when someone catches you off guard and they put you out on the spot, something really dumb comes out. And you're like, why did I even say that? That's not even how I feel. But it's a, it's a reactive. So our, our job is to train to be reactive with integrity when we're not even thinking about it. And that's, that's why we need to ingest God's word so that garden is so full of purity that, that we even react with truth when, when we're put on the spot. We can, nothing bad can come out because we've got all the thorns out. Yeah, you can clap for that. I heard a half a clap. Let's get a whole clap for something. Pastor keeps calling us golf clappers. What's that about? <laughs> no, I hate polos. Anyway, they look good if you're playing golf, but I was never good at golf. That's probably why. We sell out to confrontation is what I'm trying to say. We, we sell out in the moment because our instinct doesn't know how to handle being put on the spot. And then, here's, here's what's really funny with culture today, is if you are transparent with your response, they think you're a jerk. You know why? Because they're not used to hearing transparency on the spot. They don't know how to handle not being fake. They're so used to living in that, that when you're not, they almost think you're a snob. Oh, well, <laughs> but they go back later and they're thinking about, that was different. What they said was authentic. That, that set with me. Like when you feel challenged by someone's integrity, that's a sign God's working on your heart. It's not that the person doesn't like you. It's the devil trying to tell you to don't, don't listen to that because that actually can change your, change your life if you let people who are authentic influence you in a good way through God's word. But you sell out to, to, the, to the impulse of confrontation. I'll never forget. It was really, when I was really strongest in my walk was the first grade, I thought. Mrs. Fra- Miss, Miss Frankel, Ms., she wasn't married. 
You remember you put, you put the MS if they're not married and the MRS as a kid if they're married? And Ms. Frankel, first grade Shenandoah Valley, Chesterfield, Missouri, elementary school. Anybody ever heard of it? Shenandoah. Shenandoah. No one's ever heard of Shenandoah. How many have heard of Friendship Village? Friendship Village, Chesterfield, senior community. Nobody's heard of Friendship Village? My mother. That's great. Well, okay. How many have heard of Chesterfield, Missouri? Praise God for that. Okay. How many have heard of Chesterfield? There's a road called Olive. It goes downtown. We're getting somewhere. You take, you take Chesterfield Park. Let's see. You take 40 to Olive. You take a left. You go down about two miles past Schnooks and all that. And on the right is Shannon uh, Appalachian Trail Drive, baby. It's a neighborhood. On the left is Friendship Village. You know where the big bands play out and they have the Butterfly House and all the stuff. Take your kids somewhere. I'm too busy, but Michelle would always take them. I heard it was good. <laughs> Back when we did field trips. Anyway. Miss Frankel, first grade, little Jeffy. We're, we're doing our work on those. Remember pre-notebook paper? It was like tan, and it had chunks of wood in it, and it was wide instead of tall. Does anybody remember that? Do they still use that in school, like first, second grade? I remember the teacher saying, you know, you know, paper's made, this has nothing to do with anything. Paper's made from wood, and I could see little chunks of wood in there, in the paper. I'm like, I think I'm writing on wood right now teacher. So it was quiet time. And, and I had these two little buddies, David Filkoff and Justin Sigaloff. And yes, I remember this moment. It was only, you know, 40, 38 years ago, 39 years ago. And I remember I was talking and I was, I was mocking what the teacher was saying. So she was saying like, um, okay, class, let's practice our A's. And I was like, okay, class, let's practice our A's. And she said, who did that? And I pointed to Justin. I lied, like blatantly lied on the spot. And, and the kid turned red in the face. He's like, Jeff, how did you just throw me into the coal fire? You just threw me in there with Abednego, Meshach, and Shadrach. Like, where's Jesus? You just threw me in the fire. Bible joke. What's the Bible? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, so, so I pointed to him, and then I knew if I confessed, then I was in even bigger trouble. So I stuck with the lie because it caught me off guard, and I felt so ashamed. I think for like 10 years I held that in. And then I, I ran across the kid in like junior high again because you know that like you separate, and then you come back. And I remember being like, Justin, I'm so sorry. Back in first grade when I, I was making fun of the teacher, I'm serious. And I blamed you. I carried that shame for like a decade. And the reality was I was caught on the spot and just something dumb came out. It wasn't that I really wanted to make him suffer like the ladies in the text here. I wanted to just be free of the punishment because I knew I was in trouble. And I didn't like getting in trouble. And I was always like really good. So to do something like this, it was out of my element. So then I just made it worse by lying on the spot. But we sell out to confrontation to protect ourselves. And loyalty goes out the window to the truth. I see it all the time with church people. Y'all think I don't know the difference. Some of y'all know really well. And I know when you're full of it and when you're not. It's okay. Are we all human in here? Okay. It's quiet. Is, is, is he talking about me? I don't know. God does. 
God knows. <laughs> Love y'all. God will always honor the right one, the right decision. That mom, and as a dad, had to love that baby so much, even when it hurt. I can tell you it hurt to say, give it to her. Can you imagine? That's like me saying, just take my family away so they survive. I can't imagine having to be faced with that kind of ethical dilemma. I could have been real selfish in this situation. Said, no, I got to have them for myself or I got to see them flourish for what's best for them. That's loving when it hurts. And we've talked about loving when it hurts them like tough love. This is loving when it hurts ourselves to benefit them. Jesus loves us when it hurts. I guarantee you after he cried in Gethsemane at the garden when he went to the cross, he was, he was hurting because of our sin. Therefore, he chose to love us more than his personal fear or, or, or anxiety about the cross or whatever was on his fleshly mind at the time. And that's the kind of depth the love of God is supposed to have in our love for others. It's supposed to have depth. Depth is deepness, how deep it goes, not on the surface. And that place not only is right, but it's reflective of, like I said, his love. Because true love sacrifices. It will give up for the greater cause. It will give up for the greater cause. I love this church, but if I ever saw this church get compromised by ethical issues, I would walk away. That's why I can sleep at night. Because I made a deal with God that this church would be the backbone of his integrity and nothing else. And I said, God, they can hate me all day for it. I'm good with that. I said, but if I do you wrong after I promise to commit that this church would do it the ethical way, I said, that's what I'm living up to. And that's what the sheep have to live up to. That it's not about us. It's about God. We're representing God. And I don't do anything that will cause a brother to stumble and cause a brother to get confused. And if I do, I ask God to show me clear because I don't want to be a pastor that steers people down the wrong road because of my personal feelings. So you'll see that carry through my personality because I believe that with all my heart. And as much as I love it, if I saw it got corrupt, I would walk away in a blink because that's not the deal I made with God. And so that's the kind of foundation you need to see something succeed for 50 years, 100 years, a church that goes on multi-generation. That's what you got to have is a foundation that is not corrupt. And people come in and they want to corrupt things because they don't even know the difference. And that's why you have a pastor and someone to lead the sheep that knows the difference because you haven't got there in your walk yet. And someday you'll get there in your walk and God gives you revelation. You go, now I understand. That's why... We come in looking for understanding. We are to come into God's house looking for understanding. That's why reverence matters. Because if you come in not reverent, not looking for understanding, and looking for affirmation for what you already know, that corrupts soil in God's house. That will corrupt your own soil. You will not grow in that. But if you come in with a hungry heart saying, God, show me what I don't know, God will. He's a rewarder. You can clap for that. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him in his will. That's a powerful word because that's not the world we live in. That's not cool. 
I'm not here to be cool. I'm here to keep the integrity of God's word as the backbone of 1C Church. And that's how it will always be. And that's what will grow this thing into a community-serving, pure, integral-loving church that the world needs. That's what God told me. And I believe it, and I'm passing it to y'all. That's just a little talk me and Jesus had on a regular for five years, almost six years, seven years. If you count the year, we weren't doing nothing with services yet. This has been a thing that God has spoken, and it takes time. You can't size up God's church in a moment. Remember that. And that's loving when it hurts. You've got people in your life that it hurts sometimes to see them fall. You love them anyway. You love them when you disagree with them. You love them when you know they're making the wrong decision. You love them anyway. Loving when it hurts says, I love them no matter what, because Jesus did the same for me. It will never change. That's the kind of relationships that will last a lifetime in your circle are the ones you establish a love like that because they know no matter what they're in, you will be there for them the same way. You're not going to be partial by who's in the audience, by who's in the, 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 the a conversation, excuse me. They're not going to be changing your tone depending on who you're impressioning at the moment. You're the same in and out the church, in and out the, the house, in and out the job, in and out the car, oh Lord. You're the same no matter what, and that's why they want to keep you forever in their life. Isn't that good? We can do it, church. We can be God's people in an authentic way. And that's what the real mom represented was the authenticity of doing it God's way no matter what she got in return. She didn't know the king was going to give the baby back. She didn't know. She didn't make the decision thinking, if I do this, he'll give me the baby back. She just made the decision unconditionally without even questioning the reward for it. That's why she succeeded. That's why when we do things for God with integrity, no matter what the world says, as long as it's authentic to God's word and his calling, it will come back to us because we are living as the right one. You see the theology in this? We can be either mom today. We can be either mom in this story, and we want to be the good mom, but our decisions determine which mom we choose to be on how we interact with the people we pass by every day on the street. The real mom was willing to protect her baby no matter what, even when it hurt. I'll tell you a funny story here. Well, it's funny now. It wasn't funny in the moment. My boys have been doing wrestling for years. I talk about it. And, you know, we're living in a community now where all these little kids are learning jujitsu also. So when I was a kid, you either got hit with a bat or, like, punched in the face or kicked. But now they're, like, choking people at five years old, Curry. And so we watch this stuff, so I'm familiar with how it looks. And so we're in a wrestling practice about four or five years ago. Uh, Caleb, you're 11. You're probably about seven, six. And in wrestling, hate to break it to you, there's no choking. That's jujitsu. Wrestling is grappling. You pin them. You, you, get, you get the three taps, and the match is over. And so 
I could tell I'd go to every practice. I'd sit there with my boys. Um, it's in our family. And I could tell by the body language when my boy was having an asthma attack because he has asthma. I could tell when, when the kid was doing something shady, like punching him in the head with knuckles, like, like anything. And one day I see this kid on top of my boy, Caleb, and the coaches are busy and they can't watch everybody. There's sometimes 100 kids in the gym. And I could tell by his body language he was choking Caleb what's called a rear naked choke. He was on top of him. Caleb was on the floor, and I could see him arching his back, choking my son. And so this is before I was a pastor, by the way, but I did handle it with grace. I went over there, and I grabbed this kid, and I think I picked him up like this. I said, hey, bro, we don't choke in wrestling. I didn't really throw him. I couldn't, but I probably would have. I was so mad because he was just trying to be cool, and he was also a couple years older, and he was straight up choking my son who already has asthma. And so as his dad, I never take my eyes off him because I know the, 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 the integral details of, of my son and his, his, his breathing and, and those type of things. And I could tell when he was being pushed too hard. He used to get this whipping noise and it, <laughs> this thing when he'd breathe, this whistle would start. That's when I could tell his windpipe was starting to close. And so I knew to pull him off the mat because the coaches, they'll just keep pushing you if they don't know the details. But I'm his dad. And so I know the difference. Well, thank you. Thank you for the clap, for being his dad. Yeah, I got five of them. Can I get five? No. How many claps can I get for being a dad today? So this kid was, uh, I'm not joking. The kid was straight up choking him. Like, he would have just choked him until he passed out. And that's, that gets you kicked out. That gets you kicked in the head. That just gets you kicked if you do that to people. And so, so my point is that that's the kind of in, in, intuitive in, integrity you got to have in the moment. You, you, how many moms can get an amen to this? Like, you don't care what people think when someone's attacking your baby. You turn into mama bear. You're going to do it in a grocery store. You're going to do it in a Sears parking lot. You're going to do it at the McDonald's when they step in front of you. Amen, Pam. You're going to do whatever you got to do to protect your baby if someone does your baby be wrong. Why y'all laughing? <laughs> My mom's awesome. You know why? Because she's never wavered at her intuitive integrity. Michelle's the same way. She'll never waver. One time we were at the lake and someone was doing us wrong on the water and our kids were swimming in the lake and this guy was, he was circling the water and he was creating waves. And it was kind of creepy because our kids were floating in the water. And I'll just tell you, it didn't go well after that. Because Mama Bear came out. And, and that's what you got to have. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, they're going to know we're from church. And they're going to think we're crazy. And my brother, I'll never forget, he goes, man, I really like that. That she just stood up for it no matter what. She didn't care who was in the room. She stood up for her babies. I like that. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Y'all think I'm crazy. You just cross Michelle. You're going to see I'm the chill one. That's how we have to be with God's word and our integrity for his purpose. That's why friendships have to be severed sometimes. The Bible says uh, mothers will turn against daughters and fathers against son. And if you endure persecution, rejoice. That's what this is talking about is there's going to be a point when you really go deep for God you're going to see relationships change. That's not what we want, but that's the reality of the world we live in. 
And when you see that, the reason the Bible says rejoice during persecution, I love this. God is so good. The reason it says rejoice is because you know God is doing something really powerful in that moment. When it's severing people from wanting to be around you, it's causing them to be irritated in a way that's really them questioning their own life. That's conviction, and we need a little bit of that. We're not shaming them. We're just showing them what God is doing in our life, and and God does the rest. And so when you feel that, that's truth. And if, you're, if your truth and your, your theology never ruffle a soil or a feather in the relationships you keep, then maybe your truth needs some evaluation. Because the real truth will cut people from turning from sin and turn them away from sin and cut them. We call that repentance. That's a turning away. We will turn towards God. That's what real truth will do. It will cause them to want to turn. And it may take time, but we have to plan in a way that caused them to want to turn, not tell them everything's fine all the time. You don't have to turn from nothing. Jesus loves you anyway. He does love you anyway. But just because you love somebody doesn't mean what they're doing is right. Amen? And there's a difference. Love the sinner, hate the sin. There's a difference. We live in a world today that if you, if you love the sinner but you don't like the sin, they call that hate. That's not hate. Last time I checked, that's love. Because it hurts to love you like that. But if you love somebody deep enough, you're going to love them and tell them, hey, there's a better way for you. Hey, there's something God has better for you. And none of your friends are strong enough to stand up because they don't love you like I love you. But if you, if you feel the love I feel from Jesus, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you what you're doing is wrong and there's a better way. Come on, somebody. Are you awake today? That God's got a better way and I love you enough to hurt through the process of you not speaking to me that I gave you the truth in God's word. How many want to be that kind of church? Do we want to see lives change or a bunch of people to show up? Is it a popularity contest or is it a conversion process? Which is it? God will always honor the right one because God honors our faithfulness. As basic as that sound, I've heard a preacher say so many times, I should be faithful. God honors our faithfulness. That's because it's so fundamental, and we can preach it all the time. Because when we are faithful, you'll see God honoring the decisions you're making in your life. Even when they don't feel fair, even when you got to let it go, God comes back and blesses you. You may have given the baby up, but the king's going to give the baby back. Maybe it's going to take 20 years to get the baby back when they're a man. They don't even know you gave them up, but God did. Can you imagine that baby going to the wrong mom, growing up, and they never even knew they were deceived by the mother until they're 30 years old? It happens all the time with with children that are abandoned. It happens for real in our world. We just don't think of it like that because it doesn't sound as good as the story does because the story is reflective of the real world we live in. So when you realize these people go, God knew all along that you were the real one. God knows you invested in them the real way. The world gave them the credit. It's like Pharaoh and, and, um, and Moses and, and, and Mar- uh, Moses' mother. Like, like Moses' mother knew the difference. It was the same decision here. It was an intuitive integrity to do mother's intuition, let's call it. That's what mother's intuition is. God will always honor back the right one because he honors faithfulness. 
The same thing happened with Abraham and Isaac. How many remember Abraham, the father of Israel? The, the, he's, the, he's the father of righteousness. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac at the altar because God was testing his willingness. It's not that God wanted a barbecue with his son. It's because he was testing if Abraham was really the chosen one that he, he proclaimed him to be. And when he was willing to be faithful with his son, he knew he was qualified now to lead Israel into the next generation, to the promised land. You getting this? It's a test. Remember the if test? Take a test, somebody. You got to get a few questions wrong to grow. Take the test, get a couple wrong, and grow. It's a faith test. Y'all can stand this morning. When God sees that you're willing to hold on to his truth, through your faithfulness, watch out, world. Watch out, world. I promise you, church, they'll be coming to you going, how did that happen in your life? I just don't get it. I mean, I know Susie Q and John Doe, and they just did all ABCs and all these things. They studied all this stuff. But God's blessing you different. Why is that? It's because you're holding the truth as the core of all you do without compromise, whether you're put on the spot or not. It produces fruit. People are hungry for some fruit in this community. People are hungry for the fruit of righteousness that can only come from the truth of God's word. And righteousness don't grow out of, of false uh, uh, lies and, and, and trickery and deceit. Truth, uh, fruit bears out of truth. And so our faithfulness uh, bears the fruit that people are craving, and that's why they flock to you. That's why they want what you have. That's why they come to church because you came to church, because they see something genuine that they're not used to seeing in a world that says it's all about me. I'm going to close with a little story that I was reluctant to share, but I feel it's time to share this with y'all. It just, God put it on my heart this morning. When we bought the building in, well, let's see. I'm starting to get old. I can't remember stuff. We had a contract on this building in summer of 2021. We didn't close till October 2021. It was a horrific process. Horrific. I'll spare you the details. But the devil did not want us getting this place. We had, I'll spare you the details. We almost had to get into lawsuits because of issues, people trying to stop us from simply buying this building. And I believe in my heart, they didn't even know it was for a church, but in my heart, the devil did. And so I always rejoice when I feel that, you know, like, like I felt that, that persecution and we, we finally got the building and we closed on October 20th, 2021. And, um, who remembers dates anyway? And, um, every once in a while I'll do a call with different pastors in the country and I, 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 I get invited once in a while, and I think it's an honor that they would consider me to sit in on these calls and, and absorb from them. Because when I get around them, I'm a sponge. I, 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 no matter how much experience I may, I may get in the future, I'm a beginner when I'm around people who've been doing this. Because you never stop growing. And so I got on this call with like 10 pastors, and I just started losing the intimidation of these calls because these are some big-time pastors. And the pastor holding the call was a mega pastor of a church that is a multi-campus um, 
across the country in different aspects. And so it was really intimidating, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, here's here's little PJ and and um, you know he's just he's just been there, done that, and this is insignificant to him. And I'm sizing up these guys because they're in they're in a chapter that we're just they've been through many chapters since the one we're entering. And um, so I didn't even want to ask questions and sound stupid, you know, because I was afraid of what they would think, you know. And then then I'm thinking I'm in my 40s and I've been doing this for a while. Like I don't care what they think. If I really need an answer, I'm going to ask because they've done it for a while. And I don't I don't remember the specific question. But I told him our church's story. And I don't do this to pat our church on the back. I'm telling you this because this is not a normal situation. He started crying on the phone in front of all of us because I told him our story. I told him how we got the building and, and, and how we've been through Corona and all the places we had been. And I told him like some real details that I would not share with you all, but I, I shared it with him because I was really stretching out in faith saying, God, are we doing this right? This is a lot, God. I don't know if we're doing this right. Am I crazy or called? What are we doing? And he started crying, Vince. This get it together. Major pastor started crying on the phone. And right then God says, you're doing something really powerful at 1C Church. 1C Church is doing something really rare. And that touched me. And I hung up the phone. I said, Michelle, he started crying when I told him about our building and where we've come from and how we got there. And, and I said, this is, this is really special. This is not just us thinking this anymore. These are people who've been in the game for a long time, and they're confirming that this is unique. And so that really lifted my spirit as a person, and it took me into the next sermon, I'm sure, on fire, because I just want to tell you, church, like it's that authentic, intuitive integrity to to walk away from the applause if you have to, to stand by God's word at the end, at the day of judgment. If you're willing to stand by God's word at the day of judgment, God is going to bless you in your church. He's going to bless your future, and he's going to bless your generations that are going to come from you, your children. He's going to spare the baby, and he's going to bring them back to you through, through the things you taught. That baby, I bet, under, under that mom grew up to do great things for God. I believe it because God had a calling on that life of that little child. And this is, this is a big deal. I mean, this was Solomon taking the throne and really having a show. And so God was saying in this message that when you're faithful to me, you will be the right one in my, my blessing. I will come back to you even when you don't think it's right, even when the world says it's crazy, even when the world says it's foolish. You are holding it true to, to my word, and you are the right one, son. You are the right one, daughter. Hold my word, and I will come back to you without void. God will do it. He'll bring the baby back. Look to your neighbor. Tell him God will do it. God will do it. He's going to bring the baby back. Look to your neighbor. Say he's bringing the baby back. He's bringing the baby back. And that that's exciting because now you know God will honor it. It don't matter. It may take a while, but God knows. And if God knows, it'll grow. God knows. I can praise for that because if God knows, it'll come back around. It'll come back around however he sees fit, but I know it will come back around. I don't need to be right. I need to make the right decision. You getting that? 
I don't need to be right. I need to make the right decision. There is a big difference. The world wants to be right. They want to shout it down and debate everything. I don't care about that. I want to make the right decision because God is my king. He's my king, and he honors what I do. He'll call me the right one or the right son, the right daughter when I make the right decision. It don't matter if they win the battle because God wins the war. That's how honor works. I'm grateful for that. If you're, if you're grateful that God never leaves that void, just give him a praise right now. Just clap your hands right now that we serve a God who will always bring it back to you. He'll bring the baby back to you. He'll bring the baby back to you through, through that other situation that you didn't even know was your baby. He'll bring it back to you. He'll bless you for it. He will honor you for it, and we give thanks for that. Every head bowed, every hand lifted. I encourage you right now to pray with me. God, we thank you for where you've brought this church. We thank you for 2023. We believe it. We see it coming, God. We are building pillars of intuitive integrity in this foundation, and that's the only thing strong enough to hold up what you're building, and we know it, and we're okay with that because when the world catches up, baby, watch out. When the world catches up to what you've been building over six years, watch out. We're going to be talking about it and saying, remember when? Watch out, world, because God's building something that's not natural. It's spiritual. And when God builds in the spirit, spiritual things happen. When God moves in the spirit, people get the baptism in the lobby without even planning about it. Because when God's spirit moves, it moves. It touches lives no matter what. It touches lives no matter if we're out in the street. You can witness in the car. It doesn't matter where you are. When God touches the soil, the heart changes. And we give thanks for that now. And we continue to take your word into the field. If the house of God can say together in Jesus' name, everybody say amen.